Welcome to Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions with hosts Shannon Reynolds of Visionary Creative Concepts and Branding and Jared L. White, the man behind the creative brand Tim K. Unlimited. Together, they are the co-creators of the Not Your Enemy Collections. The Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions are a forum to continue conversations amongst Black artists, creatives, and cultivators. We are excited for you to join our conversation. This is Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions. I'm your girl, Shannon, here with the amazing Mr. Jared L. White. How you doing? Good, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. We are back up, Shannon. Season two, we did it. We did it. Yay. All right. So we have a very special guest on today. He is a dear friend of mine. He is a graphic designer. He is a creator. He is the owner of Mighty Mitt, Michigan-based apparel. He is a podcaster with a podcast called um, Relationship Talk with Rick and Naaman, uh, the, only, the one and only Richard Dodd. Hey. Ooh, welcome wow, to the show. That. That's like resume. I know, right? It made me feel like I did something with my life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you, I think this is the first time like we've ever seen each other face to face. Like in a conversation, I think so for sure. So we and worked together, years. I don't know how many years it's ago that years. was, because <laughs> I'm five. Uh, but this like man is years. amazing. He helped me with my grad program. I don't even know if you remember that with my app that I created. You don't mm, remember oh that? Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's just always been there, always been helpful, um, and somebody that I've just stayed connected with, connected with, even though we, like, never officially met. We were just coworkers in different states that always were working with each other with clients. Um, but, you know, there's something special about you, and you're always um, giving, and you actually gave me my first... Um, opportunity to write on a blog or oh yeah that's right i forgot about that (laughs) (laughs) well it was uh the other 40 so i was doing um writing for you and talking about entrepreneurship and here we are boom i know it's good to have connections right right you have stories to tell like when you make it big it's like hey i remember them back when we was cool and we worked the nine to five Beautiful. That's what it's all about. Like we, we, that has always been a theme of networking across. So like that's like the example of that shit. (laughs) I know. I was like always. My whole thing is, even though I never met half the people that I'm cool with now, it was always just I always wanted to be nice. Always like to call and have the opportunity to talk. I hated doing like emails and stuff because I could always be misconstrued. And once I found out like who was black, I really was like, (laughs) (laughs) you can't always tell by the voice either. No, you can't. I, I didn't know. But uh, yeah, so I, I when I found out name. who was Black, I was extra, uh, um, I took some extra steps to make sure that we connected just because, you know, it's not always, it's not, it's rare to see Black people. I don't know. And, we feel, I feel like we just, as, as a people, we've had so many disadvantages. We almost have to overcompensate for supporting Black people just to get us equal. You know, woo. we got to do extra just to get us even like we just trying to get even so we got to do like 120 just to get even like just to be ground level we got to look out for each other like it's hard exactly exactly so i learned no yeah like i had to learn about graphic design from you like i made sure i knew everybody's job what was the semantics of it all because in the workplace that we were in was a benefit to me too yeah yeah it wasn't a ton of ton of us 
there. It's not. It never is. And you think about you in different regions. Different regions have different amounts of people. I was telling a good friend of mine. Uh, he told me that I told him this. I don't remember telling him, but he's he's a white white guy. And mm-hmm. I had told him like, yeah, you're used to seeing black people because you grew up around black p- people. But like, we only make up like 11 or 12 percent of the population in America. And he's like, no right. way. He's like, no way that that's true. He called me later like. Yo, I looked at the numbers, <laughs> and it's like 11.98%. And I'm like, yeah, just because you're in an area with African-Americans. Like, when I think about moving, if I ever want to relocate out of Michigan, or even out of this area because there's other places in Michigan where it's not brown folks, you know, you got to think about where I'm going. So it's select places you can go. So when I was thinking about moving, it was like California, uh, you know, uh, Texas, and, mm-hmm. and Georgia. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, I have to go somewhere where I can go and get, like, I have locks in my hair. My hair is covered right now, but I have locks. And, like, I have to go somewhere where I can get my hair done and get the products that I need specifically for my hair because I am different from right. regular people. Like, I'm not, I can't use everybody's products. I have to use a product made specifically for my hair in order for it to, to do the things it needs to do. Right. Memories. Know, so we right? appreciate you for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Um, we start every podcast with the same question, and it basically is, and I remember you did um, a, I think it's a Facebook video, but just mm-hmm. basically how has the social, like the social climate impacted you personally, professionally, um, overall? It's just, a, it's just a lot. That video uh, kind of was like my waking up moment. Really, mm-hmm. to tell you the truth, it's just after the George Floyd thing. Uh, it was just too much. It was like too much of a weight. And when I, I, I never was raised to ever see any like race or anything like that. My parents raised me like love everybody, love your enemy, love everybody, just love people, love people, treat people like people. And I really haven't came across much discrimination in my life. But when I went back and I, I was thinking about it because I hung a, around a whole bunch of different races. When I when I thought about it, I w- it was something that I used to say as a joking thing. You know what I'm saying? Because oh, this is a joke. This is funny, and something would happen, and we'd be like, oh, is it because I'm black? You know what I'm saying? But it would be in like joking, right. joking terms. Like, is it because I'm black? That's a lot of things that started to change. Like after after uh, President Obama won the election, I was like, wow, this the country has really turned over a new leaf. You know, like stuff is really dying out. We don't have to worry about the stuff. And then the last four years happened. And mm-hmm. it kind of was like a reminder, like, hey, like just because you think you made progress, everybody don't speak their mind. And now somebody has come into power that gives people with bigoted and racist views the the platform and the opportunity to speak out on those things. So seeing that again just reminded me how much racism and hate and bigotry and stuff like that is still alive and really still thriving in a lot of communities just because we don't see it it's like just being black like just because I see a lot of black people where I'm from sometimes when people especially like I think about when I went to college for a lot of people I was the first black person that they met and the only representative the only representative that they had of black people was our music which is not always the best representation and our movies which is not always the best re- representation and then they hear I'm from Detroit and they're like oh my god you made it out alive how did you do it cuz i heard if i went to detroit i would get shot right away so it's like you ha- you had to deal with those kind of things because i mean we're all ignorant and we don't know what we don't know so i just hit a point 
after that happened to where it kind of opened my eyes up to some things and some things that we deal with as African-American people that we carry with us every day. And I always say it's levels to it. As, as a man, as a, as a woman, Shannon, you deal with different things than men have to deal with every day. As black people, we have to deal with things that other people don't have to deal with every day. A story that I always tell is that I was with two coworkers, two white coworkers, and we're talking about something and we're talking about racial inequality and stuff like that. And I was like, the thing is, is that if you two got pulled over by the cops, you'd be pissed. Like, why the heck did they pull me over? Man, I don't want to get a ticket. It's like, I get pulled over by the cops, even though I'm an upstanding citizen. I've never been in any trouble. I don't even have any tickets on my on my license or anything like that. Like, I have to put my hands up, make sure I talk respectful, make sure that they, I don't give them a reason to for a racist cop to, to take a bad day out on me. So I'm like, that is a level of weight that I carry with me. And it's like, we carry it with us. And sometimes we just forget it's there. And it's just heavy. And, and, and we're always walking around with it. So that video that I did was kind of like an explanation of that. It was kind of me like, I have so many friends of different, of different nationalities. I was like, look, y'all, I'm tired. Like, as a black man, I carry this weight with me every day. Every time, every time something's going on, I have to bring it with me. And it's just something that, you know, that I'm not always aware of. And in some, some, like, the last four years, I was ultra aware of it. Like, I always had to remember, like, the color of my skin and the, the conversation my mom had with me when I was younger. After she raised me not to see race and color, she had to sit me down and she said, you know, she calls me Ricky. She's like, Ricky, you know, it's going to be people that don't like you just because of the color of your skin. And I looked at her, I was like, mommy, why? Like, that doesn't make sense. And she's like, that's that's how it is, like, unfortunately. And I, I just started to cry. And it's like, that's a moment that I, I remember very vividly. So with all of that happening, I just felt like if I didn't say anything in, the, in that moment, like, I felt like because of my connection with people of all different races, I felt like it was my time to say something. And I just wanted to say just something, you know, and – I put that up and I didn't know how it was going to be taken. You know, like now it's cancel culture. Like people cancel you. You never know how people are going to treat you after you put something up. But I was like, at that point, I just have to say something. And, you know, I wasn't criticizing anybody or anything. I was just speaking my mind. And that video has over 700 views. And yeah. it's just like crazy to think, like I put it there and there. It's like over a thousand views between two flat platforms. And, it's like I didn't think that it would resonate, but all of my friends who know me and all of my, especially like the non, the non-black friends, they were hitting me up like, "Yo, thank you for posting this, thank you for sharing," and it's just simple, simple stuff that a lot of people. Because I mean, like even us as African Americans, how about this? Us as men, a lot of times we're not sitting there dwelling on what a woman has to go through on a daily basis. We're not sitting there dwelling on like, you know, if I go to my car at night, is, is a dude going to try to jump me and try to rape me? Or are, are they going to try to control me and use their strength against thought. me? It's not even something that crosses our mind. So a lot of times we're ignorant to things that don't affect us. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to like, that's something that affected me. So I wanted to share it and give people a different perspective of understanding that when I decided that I wanted to lock my hair, that I was worried about going into my corporate America job because I didn't know people were going to treat me j- differently because they felt a way about the way I decided to wear my hair. Maybe mm-hmm. my hair isn't professional to them anymore. But the thing that I wanted to embrace was that my hair does specific things because it's my hair. The way that my hair is built is different from a white person's hair. They can do things that I can't do with my hair, but I can also do things with my hair that they can't do 
And I'm tired of us thinking that the way that our hair and the stuff that our hair can do isn't beautiful. Mm. So I had to embrace it. And even when I, like, I was doing the sponge look at first. And when I decided that I was going to lock it after it had got so long, my mom, she was worried. She had a conversation. She's like, do you really want to do that? Are you sure you want to do that? And as it grew and as it got longer, she, like, at first she's like, I don't really like it. I don't really like it. But then we actually sat down and we had a real conversation of what it was. It wasn't that she didn't like the hairstyle. She just was worried about her baby boy going out into the world with a different hairstyle that would give somebody a different perspective of who I am as a person just because of the way that I look. So you're already black and now you have locks in your hair Mm. and and they're going to judge you and they're going to look at you a different way just because you have locks in your hair. So being able to lock my hair and then go boldly and proudly into work and deal with that and have knowing people are looking at me, knowing people are judging me, even if nobody ever says it, I know it's, you know, it's at least a couple that, that has something to say in their, in their private life, but just being able to be strong and to do that kind of stuff, has just been kind of just opening my eyes to a lot of different things. And one of the big things that I say is that when I was younger, as a young man, and a lot of people might scoff at this, a lot of black people, it's like, I, I didn't want to be called a black man. Don't call me a black man. I'm Richard. I'm a human being. I'm American. Like, black man was just one of those things. And it took me a long time to analyze and realize why I didn't want to be called a black man. And the reason why I didn't want to be called a black man is because media and society have been so limiting to what a black man could be. Mm. At that point, we hadn't had a black president. At that point, it was still like, you're going to rap, you're going to play basketball, you're going to do something like that, you're going to work on the assembly line. And there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff, but I don't want to be limited by the color of my skin. And at that time, I felt like society and media and everything was telling me that I am limited on what I can be and who I can be just because I was born a black man. And then you look at me and I'm like, I'm like 6'1" big dude so it's like oh you must be wanting to play football or basketball or something like that it's like no I actually want to go to school for engineering you know what I mean so you automatically get stereotyped so it's just been a a whole kind of lesson me reflecting on my blackness and embracing it more and the biggest thing that I would tell somebody that's not black if I'm pro-black that don't mean I'm anti anything else I'm pro-black because I'm black and I need to embrace myself because too many times we haven't loved ourselves and we haven't loved the color of our skin. Mm. I, I know that was a little long-winded, but... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that was, and that was stuff that needed to be said because a lot of people feel and, and have experience. Um, I'm curious, where do you find the strength to keep proceeding and moving forward with just, just the, um, the spot that we're in and everything that you have experienced? Like, how do you find that strength? Because sometimes we, we could crack at any particular moment. And I don't think that people are giving uh, Black people enough credit for how much we persevere in terms of, of figuring ourselves out, you know, and, and figuring self-identity or and, and just simply keeping moving. So how do you find that strength? I think a lot of it comes from my, my, my religious base. Like, grew up very religious. Uh, I still am, you know, still Christian. Uh, I don't necessarily, like, sometimes religion and Christianity, it gets, it gets, you know, a little muddy just because everybody believes a different way. But, like, I, God said, love your neighbors. Love your neighbors. Love everybody. Love your enemies. Love your friends. So, I mean, like, based on love, that, that's one. That's, that's, a big, that's a big anchor for me. But the, I feel like the biggest thing 
is that growing up, no matter if the whole world was against me, the whole world could be against me. The school could be against me. Somebody could want to beat me up at school. Most people didn't mess with me because I was big, but somebody could want to beat me up. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, cops could be racist. Anything could be going on in the world. But as a kid, when I got home, my parents was like, how, how was your day? I love you. Oh, you didn't do as good on this as I thought you would, but I still love you. Come and give me a hug. And just knowing that regardless of what I did, that my parents had my back and they loved me. Like, I just went to visit them yesterday. I was masked up, but I went to visit them yesterday and we were talking about that and how, like, I talked to my dad about how powerful his words were when I was a young man. And I was saying that it was things that I didn't do that because of something that he said that like it, it wasn't necessarily he was trying to be rude, but he was being honest and his honesty kind of discouraged me from doing certain things. And I was like, you know, as a kid, especially, and I wasn't trying to, you know, I wasn't trying to be hard on him or anything, but it's just a lesson that had been in my head. Like I had been on my heart recently. We kind of went down that path and I was like, it's just little things that you could say, and you don't mean to be rude and you're not trying to like anything like that. And you're being honest, but it's like, it completely changed my path in certain areas and um and, and I was like especially back then you're pops I call my dad pops pops what's up pops and like pops like for me as a kid if you said that I could do something then in my mind there's no way that I cannot do what dad said I could do and I and on the same token if you even just cavalierly said that I couldn't do anything I was gonna believe you because I had total faith that if my parents said it was going to work out, it was going to work out. If they said something was wrong, something was wrong. So I was fortunate. I'm fortunate enough still to have both of my parents, have them in my life. They were always there for me. They still together. Um, I had great grandparents. Uh, I still have my grandmother. I, I, my grandfather passed away and my other grand, grandmother passed away also. But I had great grandparents, even though I come from a big family, I really got to spend a lot of time with my granddad. Uh, one summer when I came back home from school, we did a renovation at my parents' house and I worked with them for a whole summer. So I really got to understand what that Southern work life is like because he had me working from like eight o'clock in the morning to like 10 o'clock at night with like no break. And I was like, I don't, you're like, at that time, he's like 70 something, you're 70 something. I'm like 20. Like, how are we doing this? But, you know, having family is important. And I feel like a lot of that stuff that they teach you as, as children, whether it's spoken or unspoken, because a lot of stuff you learn from the way that somebody carries themselves and the way they handle certain situations. And you never know who's watching and you never know what small or big word can change somebody's whole traje trajectory. And mm. just having people who supported me and loved me and gave me a safe space growing up, no matter how bad our neighborhood was at times, you know, they still live in the same house I grew up in. And no matter, like, sometimes the block was good, sometimes the block, it was times where the block was bad. And no matter what, I believe that my parents loved me and would protect me with their lives regardless of anything. So I feel like a lot of that, I get draw a lot of strength from that as well. Communicating with our parents at an adult age is the best thing in the whole <laughs> wild world. I think it's the most therapeutic thing in the world because communication is key for everything like you you can been getting something so wrong for so many years and when you just sit down and have that conversation and you just get that clarity especially with your parents it's just beautiful yeah, yeah. it definitely is it's, it's a blessing to be able to talk to them as an adult right. and to have them to not only 
be receptive to what I'm he- what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying, and to be able to interact because you know you have some people, you could say something like, you wronged me, you did this, and it made me feel this way. I'm not trying to chastise you. I'm just trying to tell you that it hurt me, and they're, they're completely unreceptive. Right. Right. So let's hop away from the family for a second because I definitely <laughs> want to talk about professionally um, everything that you've done. Let's start off with, like, the graphic design because that's how we met. Yeah. Um, you talked about it briefly, but like why graphic design? It's funny because you said let's step away from the family for a bit. A big, I feel like a, honestly, a big reason I went into graphic design was because my mother used to take me to the DIA, Detroit mm. Institute of Arts. It's one of the, the world renowned uh, museums for art. Um, and like the whole world, you know what I'm saying? It's Monet's and stuff like that in there. So she used to take me there all the time. So I, I loved art. Like, I, I'm such a, like, I don't know, people don't know this, but I'm, like, such a geek. Like, I love technology. I love art and all of that stuff. So I, I felt like it was a no-brainer. Like, when I was growing up, I loved putting stuff together and taking stuff apart. So initially, I was going into to do engineering because it's what everybody thought I was going to do. And then I switched to marketing, and then marketing gave me a different base. And then eventually, I went to design. And I was kind of hesitant to go to design just because I had taught myself a lot of design stuff myself you know what I mean before I ever went to school and once I got into school like I I remember riding around with my cousin we were in my car and um I I was in marketing but I was looking it was recession time I graduated during the recession and Mm -hmm. I was looking for marketing jobs and I kept getting sales jobs and sales and marketing are they people who don't know it seems like it's the same, but it's it's, uh, it's, it's not. not. I've been it's doing not. it for ten years. It's not the same. It's not the same. <laughs> it's two. You had two different brains to do that and be good at it, and it's not the same thing. So, <laughs> so I was doing that, like looking for look. I was doing these sales jobs, and I don't like sales because some sales you have to like be dishonest, and it's like I'm not gonna be dishonest right. to sell anything. And I had been like watching these people who are supposed to be my sales leaders, and they were doing like all this dishonest stuff, and it's like I don't really rock like this. So we were riding around in the car and it was a, it was an advertisement on for a local school and they had just, they're a broadcasting school, school, Specs Howard School of Broadcasting, that's what they used to be called. And they were doing a graphic design program. And they were like, yo, we're going to do a graphic design program. And they're talking about learn photography and Photoshop and this and this and that. And I'm like, oh, that sounds dope. I was like, that's stuff that I already do. And my cousin was like, well, why don't we go check it out? So we went and checked it out. Long story short, I did their year uh, training program and like with that and my graphic design degree, that's when I really busted into I, my, that and my marketing degree. That's when I really busted into design. I feel like that marketing gave me a different form of communication that the the design part let me display. So the mm-hmm. marketing was the, the theory and the rationale behind what I was doing. But the creative part was the thing that actually allowed me to bring those thoughts to life. So. That's kind of how every, I started. Sorry, everyone take notes of that because that what he gave you guys is the key to how you do business. You cannot right. have a creative only brain or a business only brain and then a, uh, an engineer to have to be able to do all that and put that together. Like that, the skill sets that are um, that come from that is um, my it's it, it, it will take you to the next level every single time because you need skills from each of those in order to really get it and you know it, it pains me when I see um, you know creatives talents not necessarily get to the next step because they don't have that business side that's that's super important and sometimes it could just be simply like how do you write an email properly like that um, my, my um, minute of a detail is so important um, and uh, you 
I understand your family, your mom, you said your mom took you to like museums and stuff. And that's, yeah, that's what's so important about having family in your life because they see you um, more than you see yourself. You know, so she probably already knew that that's what you would love and that's where you were going in life. Um, Cause I remember when my grandparents did that and you're, you're so blessed to have, you know, you, you, you said you still have your grandmother. I still have one of my grandmothers, yeah. That's a blessing because I, I don't have any of mine. I'm, I miss them to so much. Um, but um, I want to hear about your creative process and how that works too. Like being a graphic designer, like, you know, we all have, you know, I know we all creatives here on this, on here. I, I want to hear about your process because I'm always curious about everybody else. Uh, my process, I feel like my being able to create is a gift. I really feel like being able to create is a gift. So a lot of times I feel like my best work just kind of comes. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily a process. It's it's a process that we go through as far as like, all right, if I'm stuck and I don't have it, I'll, I, I'm, on, I'm on Pinterest. I'm looking up stuff that's similar, um, especially like if I'm designing a website, I'm going to different websites I like and I'm taking this part, I'm taking this part, I'm taking this part. Uh, like a good book that I recommend is still like an artist because when I was younger, I thought that I had to create everything from scratch. But it's mm. like, really, that's not, you don't have to create everything from scratch. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Everything that we're doing has is, is been done before. You just remix it and you make it your own. So I, I just look for inspiration wherever I can find it. And it, I remember um, when I was at, when I was in college, I would look at like the way that some, some architecture was done. And then I would come up with a design based off of how the architecture was done on a building. And I would make something, a graphic something graphical out of that just because I like the way the stairs hit inside of the window and it was a you know so it's 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 different depending on what it is but I feel like my best stuff comes from, from when I hear something and I just get it if it just pops in my head and I see it like right away I feel like that is the the best thing and the, the craziest thing is that even when you get it and you see it it still takes hours sometimes to get on a piece of paper it still takes hours to get it in Photoshop or Illustrator or whatever you put it in. And then from there on, what you thought you saw kind of evolves. And then you start to take away and you simplify. And then you make it, you follow those rules and those guidelines and those basic things. And then you perfect it. And then you try not to spend too much time with it because then you're going to make it bad. But you got to know when to stop. Why do you think we do that? Why do you think as creators, we take so long to just get it started? Like why it's always like a, such a delay before like even opening in the freaking computer, like you have it in your head and you just don't put it down. Like, why do you think that is? For me, I don't know about other creators. For me, I'm very cerebral. So I like to sit there and I like to dwell on it. So like you think about podcasting, like even with podcasting or anything, like just it's, it's all the same. It doesn't matter what it is. Whenever I'm thinking about doing something, I spend time in my mindscape just thinking about it. Like, what does this look like? What is the end goal? What am I trying to accomplish with this? And then then after I've sat on that and dwelled on it and meditated on it and, like, prayed about it and done everything I need to do and, and, and have it in my mind, I'd be like, okay, I start to see it. I start to see it. So by the time it actually gets on to the screen and I'm touching my mouse, I've already thought about it for hours. And it's just kind of like me perfecting it in my mind before I even put it down. You know what I mean? So I, it's just, that's just my, like my process. I don't know if everybody does that, but that's kind of like my thing. Like before I started, like I said, before I started a podcast, before I started doing anything, I like to sit and dwell and, and just spend quiet time with it and see it all the way through. Cause a lot of people will see like the first part, but then they don't know what the next step is. It's like, I kind of want to play out the steps ahead of time. 
And then I want to leave enough room for Audible in case something does goes a little bit differently than I want it to. I want to be able to pivot. I mean, and that all goes back to like my my college career, you know, being able to pivot from one thing to the next, not staying in engineering just because I would be making I would have been making more money when I graduated than I'm making right now doing engineering. But I wouldn't have been as happy as I am doing the things that I'm doing now. I also wouldn't have the skill sets that I have now to be able to start a business of my own, like right away, just because of things that I learned from business school and being able to design my own assets and being able to even know the tools to use in order to create certain things in the process. So being able to be flexible and not so rigid in, in, in what you're doing, that, that helps out a lot too. Right. I just want to pause for a second because that was a really great explanation of the process but we work together on multiple projects yeah. and like your eye is like crazy amazing like real quick <laughs> you're like no just change it there so as much as you reflect and take time I also feel like you have that creative eye that you could just change something in an instant I've seen your work for years so <laughs> it's you know kudos to you because I think it does take an eye um and I know there's a process for everything but I feel like I've seen your work ethic. I see like what the outcome of your work is. And it's always like phenomenal. I'm sure we've had some flops here and there. Yeah, Maybe not. I don't do. know. I've never we seen it. We have flops. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but the, the, thing, but the thing is, is that when you spend time with it, you know what I mean? It's something that you spend time with. So I might not have spent hours, like you might send me something. I might not have spent hours thinking about that, but I spent yeah. hours dwelling and meditating on design and people think that once you're out of school that's when that's when the education stops that's when the education really starts education starts when you get out of school because I've learned way more out of design school than I did when I was in design school just because you constantly got to refresh and renew because what was hot I remember a, a story I had did my portfolio and mm -hmm. you remember like the old iPhones was like what's called skeomorphism Everything yep. looked kind of real. So if it was a, a book, it looked like an actual book. So mm -hmm. I did like this whole portfolio. And my portfolio had like all of these uh, drop shadows that made it look like the paper was coming up and whatnot like that. And I did that and I finished it. And it took me a long time. And I was like, yes, I'm done. And then like the next day, Apple was like, we're moving away from this and we're doing flat, simple design now. Instantly overnight, what looked new mm -hmm. looks completely old. Just that quick. So you think about it. I could have left it there, but my, my design would have been uh, uh, old at that point, even though I just finished it. I so, would have called it vintage and kept it pushing. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, is, like when you think about what we practice for, right? We don't practice. We don't practice to, to just practice. We practice so that when something happens, we don't have to think about what we're doing because right. we practice it long enough. That when it happens, we're we're just going off of that experience and that muscle memory that we've done. So it's it's mental muscle memory and it's mental workouts that we do as creatives, as uh, intellectuals that we do. And as you do those exercises and you practice, those things are like just ready and, and and ready to go. So I don't have to like panic when something happens because I've practiced for so long. You know, everybody wanted to be Kobe Bryant. 
R.I.P. Kobe Bryant. Everybody wanted to be Kobe Bryant, but they don't know that Kobe Bryant spent a lot of his life in the gym practicing. So when you saw him do that fadeaway, that turnaround fadeaway, that wasn't because he just improvised and did it there. It's because he did that a thousand times the night before in the gym so that when it came time to pull it out, that he was going to make it. He didn't even have to look at the basket. That's why he could shoot over five people because he knew where the basket was because he just would be blindfolded, just be shooting shots. But everybody wants they wants the end result. Everybody wants the end result. But they don't see what what happens in between. You want to be the CEO, but you don't know what it takes to be the CEO. You don't know what it took. And if you just take that shortcut, then you're not going to gain the knowledge that you need to gain in between going from being a janitor to the CEO. Company that we used to work for, they gave us books. I'm not going to talk about the company, but they gave us books. But one of the stories was is that without giving away the company, the person yeah. who built the company, their son. When he started out, instead of just giving him some cushy executive job, he made him start at the very bottom. Made him start at the very bottom, and each year he moved him to a different position. The thing that made that that story really something, I mean, they're a really successful company now. The thing that really like made that something is that he got to learn every aspect of the business that he was going to take over. So he knew how everything worked, and it's magic in knowing how things work and how, how people react to the things that are going on far, far below where you can see. And when you know how it works because you built it or you've been through it, then it makes it more powerful when you make a decision. You can base your decision on what you can do, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and you can move in a way that's educated instead of just inst all instinct. I feel like instinct is involved, but all instinct is just bad as well as just not having any instinct at all. How do you measure, measure success of a design? Like, How do you feel like Yo, I, this is it? I think it depends on what it's for. Mm. If it's for a client, and even if I think it's the most horrendous thing I've ever seen, but they love it, <laughs> if they love it and they pay me for it and it does what they want, want it to do, then it's a success. If I'm doing it right. for myself, then it's different, different <laughs> metrics because, you know, like that engineering part of my brain doesn't let me leave stuff there. So if I'm doing an advertisement for something that I'm doing and it doesn't do the numbers that I wanted to do, I'm going to go back and be like, hmm, this could have did better. Like, how can I change this to make it? And a lot of times as designers, sometimes we can fall in love with a design the way that it is. And then, mm. like, you have to bring that rational thinking in. If you don't have it, you need to partner with somebody that does have it so that when they can look at it, be like, yo, this is this is pretty, no doubt. But if we change this to red and we move this here it might not be as pretty, but the way that you're seeing it is not the way the customer is going to see it. So mm. you need to think about it from the customer point of view. So one quote that I saw recently, and I wish I knew where I saw it from, was that uh, graphic designers are not artists. They said art is subjective. You can like art or not like art because it's something that, like the way your mind comprehends what's on the display or the paper or the print. But as graphic art, as graphic artists, graphic designers, we have a goal. And so either it meets that goal or it doesn't meet that goal. Either it communicates what you're trying to communicate or you don't because it's a time for art and it's a time for design. And the example that they gave, which really illustrated this point very, very clearly to me, is uh, the restroom signs. It's like, so you don't want those to be so artsy and under design that you can't tell what's the men's bathroom and what's the female's bathroom. And I like had to take take stock of that. And I'm talking about like I've been doing graphic design over 10 years. I had to take stock of that like 
Yeah, that's deep. That's really on point. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, that's it. It's so true. It's like stuff that you don't think about. So we we have an end goal, and it all depends on what the project is, and that's how you measure success. And I tell people all the time, don't fall in love with design, because if you're doing it for a client, you could like I did something for somebody. The last thing that the last website that I did, and they told me that they wanted it to look like this. So I did it all over the top beautiful gorgeous and they're like no we want to simplify it bring that header down make that header a little bit different take out the wave and don't do that and blah 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 and then it looked normal but it was what they wanted right i was like if that's what you want and you paying me to do this then me finishing a job where you saying i love it and you giving me money that's my success that's what i came to do that was my objective so but if i was trying to do something that won an award that wouldn't that wouldn't have been a success but since i was trying to get paid and make my client happy and reach their goals, that was enough for me. So I feel like you already answered this and just based <laughs> off everything you're saying, I feel like you're answering this, but is there a glass ceiling for you? No, not anymore. I feel like the the blessing as, as especially as African-Americans, you think about everything. Now you, you can do so much different stuff without leaving your home. Think about it, we're in a pandemic right now and we're saying mm-hmm. we're having a conversation. We never right. met. We've never seen each other in person. We're sitting here having a conversation face to face. It's so much technology and so many things have changed. I remember listening to Damon John talk about, he's like, man, when I wanted, when I started FUBU, I had to be out on the corner, you know, doing stuff. Mm-hmm. He's like, you can open up an online store now and do that. And nobody know who you are. And you can sell a, a million shirts just right. without having to go do the hustle. So I feel like now uh, technology has made it so that, you can do pretty much whatever you want. And I saw another meme and it was so true to life. And it was like, if 2020 didn't bring the hustler out of you, then you ain't got it. Facts. (laughs) (laughs) And that was a read. That was a read, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) But but it's really true. Um, So let's talk about the podcast because that's what you're currently doing. Why did you want to start a podcast? So in a relationship podcast at that, I was so <laughs> shocked when I listened to this morning, I was like, well, what is the name of the podcast? And I was, I was like, this is two men talking about relationships. Like I, I haven't heard that or seen that. Um, so I'm two black men talking black about guys. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always, so we actually had did a pilot. I did a pilot with three of my friends, like way back years before, years ago, before the podcast really started podcast really started exploding. We did a pilot and because of the way that it was handled amongst us, like it wasn't like, I'm a very, like, it got to be on point. It got to be precision. It has to be polished. Like I'm a very polished guy, sometimes to my detriment, because there's a lot of times that I wouldn't do stuff because it wasn't polished enough. Mm-hmm. But going back to the decision to do this particular podcast, I have always want to do podcasts because I feel like it's a cool way. Like I love storytelling and I've been told that I'm a good storyteller. So I love storytelling. I love talking to people. And, and that's just like one way to do it. This particular podcast came because of me and my, like the person that's on the podcast with me is my cousin. So this particular podcast came from our interactions. He's like, he's really like my little brother to be completely 100 with y'all. Our interactions are so freaking funny that, and like, we're <laughs> such, are. we're such, we're such entertainers. We'll be out having a conversation like that. Like, like that's on a podcast, just in the middle of the store. And then we'll see that people are paying attention and laughing and we'll just egg it up. So like on a podcast, I'm more of like the straightforward guy. 
because like I'm I'm silly and goofy. Like Shannon, you know that I'm silly and goofy. I'm silly and goofy, but I pull it back to let him be more goofy and funny just because of our interaction. So the reason I started that podcast was for a couple of reasons. Like one, it's just I, I wanted to have a way to share our interactions and our relationship with more people at, at once than we could reach just by standing outside or going to the store. So I wanted to be able to reach more people. And then I can't I can't exactly remember where relationships came from, but I think I was telling a crazy story because I, you know, I dated, had so many funny dating stories that he made a joke about it. And I was like, look, well, it's about to be relationship talks with Rick and Amy. We're going to get on the mic right now. So the from doing that, though, um, you know, like I, like I said, I just don't do something and then don't do the research on it afterwards. So as we started doing it, I started to learn the audience. And I thought that we would have one audience. And then I learned that our audience is a lot of women. I thought it would be more men, but it's a lot of women. And the the thing that they really like is that it's two men. I mean, we're being silly, but we're being honest. Two men, two African-American men being honest and not disrespectful with the way they were talking about relationships and the things that we we've went through. I mean, the very first story is me telling, telling how I got ghosted by this girl. Like after we had, I'll let you tell the story, but he just would not let you you watch the movie in the park. But I'm like, what's wrong watching the movie in the park? He just would not. (laughs) (laughs) He, uh, I mean, that's just that's just the whole thing. So it was like it was an actual like I had people hit me up after that. Like, no, I thought that was really romantic. That was very cute. <laughs> you kind of she, she wanted the blanket. I'm like, I'm sure she did want the blanket. <laughs> she, she wanted to lay on a blanket. I mean, I mean, we had like such a good time. It was like crazy that she stopped hitting me up after that. I was like, okay, like <laughs> it's a like if you ever like if if y'all whoever's hearing this if y'all haven't heard it like that's still one of my we've had some really good episodes we we just dropped episode 40 uh yesterday day before yesterday thank you and it takes longevity it's hard to do that because like as y'all know like once you start something like you get that burnout for real you be energetic for like two three weeks and you hit that fourth week you're like "Eh, (laughs) i don't know i don't know if this the thing you know what i'm saying so um yeah, so like it's it's just it's just a lot of fun, a lot of storytelling, and a lot of just it's more about. I, I feel like podcasts really, whether it's a true story, whether it's about uh, us telling our opinion at all, like society, society as a whole is based off of storytelling, and it's all about storytelling. And I feel like the more of myself that I put out there, and it's like understanding how much of yourself to put out there. At the first, at, when I first started, I was a little bit more reserved with what I said, and as I grew, I got more comfortable sharing more of myself. And from meeting people who've heard the podcast and stuff like that, like, well, I feel like I really know you because I can connect with you and I agree with what you're saying. So knowing how much of yourself to put out there and how people are going to take it. But it's all about, really, it's all really about storytelling and perspective. So the more of my perspective I put out there, the more people that listen to it and they can understand a perspective different from their own because things look so differently from a different point of view. Right. And it makes you relatable. You know, when you told that story, I was like, I feel like I've been there before. I feel like I've been on that date before. I feel like I've been in that situation. And you're like, well, what the hell did I do wrong? So it makes you, it's like, wow, I'm not the only person who's had, who has had, especially being a man, a black man who, who has had that type of experience. I'm not crazy here. I, I think it's super cool. I mean, the women really just love hearing the point of view of a man because a lot of us aren't, like, forthcoming with the stuff that we go through. Because it's like we, like, straight up, like, we get in situations where 
we are like super emotional, but we try not to show it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I really like her, but when I see her, hey, what's up? And then you ignore <laughs> her and, and stuff like that. Like, it is it, it, just like, yo, I'm like, no, like, I didn't, I didn't grow up like that. I grew up to like express myself, be expressive, and, and share my feelings and be truthful about the things that I'm going through. So I'm gonna share that with y'all. Like, look, listen to the story, y'all. She goes to me, like, we went out on a date and we spent this time. We went to this jazz club and we was kissing in the car and she was singing to me. And then she just stopped returning my phone calls, like, just straight. <laughs> Up. I wonder if she heard it. You took her to see coming um, <laughs> life out of Compton. <laughs> what was the uh, uh, straight out of Compton. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> I mean, she picked the movie though. You know He's what like, I'm saying? Like, <laughs> she picked it. Like I'm saying, like it wasn't even my thing. Like I was like, hey, let's do it. Like I'm totally down. It's like I said, it was. It's still honestly, like you, you know, you can have your pride, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna discourage her in any kind of way she's an awesome person you know what i'm saying i still see her on social media she's an awesome person she has an awesome mind the stuff that she does is great but for whatever reason we just weren't a fit for each other and a lot of times you can be honest early on even though y'all vibe y'all could have like the chemistry y'all could have the 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 passion y'all could both be intelligent y'all could have all these things that seem like y'all should fit but y'all could not be compatible and being honest about that early is so important because you don't want to drag a pretend relationship in uh, too long and knowing that you're not compatible, thinking that something's going to change. So, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe she sensed that. I mean, I could I could see that, you know, just hindsight being 2020. I could see that because I could definitely see some incompatibility, some things that wouldn't have worked out between us. But the way that you execute that to the other person is very important as well. Because mm-hmm. we did seem like we were going down a certain path and for her to just, like, ignore me, that wasn't, like, the best way to do it. It wasn't healthy. I don't feel like it's healthy for either person in that particular instance. You get two weeks' notice, at least. You know, you treat it like a job. You give me two weeks' notice and let me know this is coming down the pipeline. I, I mean, but look, <laughs> I mean, some people honest? are crazy. I mean, some people but, are crazy. And but, communicate. Yeah, just be like, hey, like, you know, like, I, I dig you. You're cute. You know, uh, we have a good connection. But, you know, uh, I don't feel like we romantically are compatible where we would need to be. And I don't think it's going to work out, but we could still be cool. Like something like that. I respect that just because I feel like so many good friendships got ruined by relationships. Mm. And we could really have been good friends. You know what I'm saying? Right. This is this is I feel like this is now your podcast (laughs) but very good i have so much to say but that's another that's another time and what's the name of the podcast what um the podcast is the uh relationship talks with rick and amy yes we did talk about that Mm. i want to go on i want to go on it all right we'll have you on for sure um my god i want to be on it it's it's dope yeah for sure Uh, um, so let's let's (laughs) (laughs) um let's talk about the the clothing line Okay. That love. Okay. Um, the, the clothing line, the mighty mitt, the mighty mitt.com. Um, I just really, I, something, like I said, it's, it's something that I, I slept on for a long time. Had that idea. Like when I was still at the place that we worked at together and it's been over five years and mm-hmm. I knew how to do it and I had the design skill and you don't even have to be a designer. Like I know somebody who wasn't a designer who got furloughed. And the thing that I tell people is that, when you think stuff is for your bad, it's not always for your bad. Just sit back and watch. So when she got furloughed, she's like, I need a hustle because I can't work right now. She started doing T-shirts. Long story short is that I just watched a video with her. She made $123,000 in seven months. Dude, we need to get there with our shirts. What's happening? (laughs) 
So doing print on demand. So she was she the we thing is, in due time and channel. <laughs> so the, the thing is with anything, everybody can do it. And it's yeah. not really a big secret. If you look hard enough, you can figure out how to do it. It's not about that. With podcasting, with design, with t-shirts, whatever hustle you're doing, it's not about whether or not you can do it or you can do it the best. You don't have to be the best. One, you definitely want to put your own twi- twist on it. You want to be genuine and unique if you can. Like that will give you a bigger a bigger niche, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you just put your, you can make it different, make it yours. Don't just take something, take it and make it, make it the way that the thing that makes you unique. All of us are unique. Make it, make it special in a way that is special to you. But I feel like the even more important than that is being consistent. Be consistent. Like, you can't, you can't expect to, like, you start a podcast, you can't put out one episode one month two episodes the next month, skip a third month, then put out three. No, you got to be consistent and you yeah, can't you quit. And it's a lot of people who quit right before they had that breakthrough. Mm. So it's like, you got to, you really got to keep going. And it's a lot of people who, who could have been millionaires who just gave up too early. And the ones who really make it is the ones who like, it's not the ones who like, Oh, it was smooth selling. And I hit right away. It's like, no, it was Rocky selling. And I wanted to give up like 15,000 different times, but I kept going. And then one day I went from a dollar a day sales to $2,000 a day sales. And, and it's been up from there. Everybody just sees the overnight success. And as I'm from Detroit. So, you know, big shine, big shine. He has a, he has a, a lyric where he says, He's like, it took me 15 years to become an overnight success. So, uh, you know, it's, you spend time, and just because you don't see the time that the successful people spent building up their brand, they didn't, trust me, you don't go from zero to a million overnight. It takes work. And if you're trying to rush it, then you'll never get there because you'll get frustrated because you'll think you're somewhere that you're, that you're, you think you're supposed to be somewhere that you're not there yet, and you'll give up before you actually build on the thing that you might have a great idea. You just might need to just be consistent about it. And it's so much fun in the journey. Like, that's the point of life. Life, the point of all of this is to go along the journey so you can pick up all these nuances along the way so that when you do get to that big, you know how to do it. You know, there's so much shit that we have picked up that makes it easier as well. You know, it's all about that, Jeremy. I mean, who, who wants something overnight? Like, I don't want the shit overnight. I, don't I mean, want, a lot of people, like, to be it. honest, like, I, I would, I was like, it was a billion dollar lottery. Like, I would have loved that overnight, but being, <laughs> yes, <laughs> give it right now. <laughs> but being, being honest with you, like, just from starting out, when, when I started the podcast, even though I understood the way it went, I was like, man, we're going to blow up overnight and we're going to have like all these listens. And it didn't pop like that. It did well, and see, try, if I had to try to measure it against where I, my expectations and my over-exaggerated thoughts, then I would have gave up because it's like, man, I ain't nowhere near where we're supposed to be. But the thing is, is that the lessons that I learned as we've grown our audience, as we've grown our audience, it's like, man, wow, I'm glad I knew that before we got bigger because now I understand in a different way how people perceive me when they see me in public. The things that I say, and it just gave me extra knowledge, and it helps me to safeguard me, help safeguard myself against certain things because you think about it even though our podcast ain't like huge huge you know what i'm saying it's it's, it's a decent it's an okay size you know looking at the metrics like we're in the top 50 percent of active podcasts but you know um it's certain things that you learn like just having people know you for something they give you a different kind of attention and understanding that everybody uh we just are episode before last was about being used and it's like are you being used in a relationship but i think it applies to everything i feel like everybody is being used for something 
And the thing that I had to learn, like, that make sure that you know that you're going to be used. One, make sure that whatever you're giving away, you're comfortable giving away and not expecting anything back. And two, if it's like a business relationship, I was taught in business to never do a business deal that doesn't benefit every person on each side. So it's just so much that you have to think about when you're, when you're doing stuff and so much that you have to learn. So I tell people, it's like, oh, like uh, so-and-so wants me on their radio station, but I don't see how it benefits me. Well, it's like they're using you for your content, but you're using them for their exposure. So, I mean, use is such a bad word. I wish it was another word that I could replace it with. But we, we use each other. It's symbiotic. So, you know what I mean? It's, it's like I'm doing something that benefits you, but it also benefits me. When you, buy, when you buy a car, it benefits the person that sells the car to you. Economically, it benefits you because you're getting a car. Right. And as long as you're all being fair about it, there's nothing wrong with being used. Yes. So let's tell everybody... First of all, thank you. This has been amazing. Uh, we're, we're finishing up. <laughs> uh, everybody where they can find you and connect with you. Uh, well, you can find me on everything. Clubhouse, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Diazism. And that's D-O-D-D-S-I-S-M. And you can find me at Diazism.com. <laughs> that's, my, that's my portfolio. Like, not my portfolio, but my biography. And it's mm-hmm. not much up there now, but I'm going to be building it out. And, you know, we, I have the podcast Relationship Talks with Rick and Naaman. Um, if, you want, if you're in Michigan or you want to buy some Michigan apparel, themightymit.com. And, you know, going forward, my thing that I wanted to do. So, like I told you that I meditate on stuff, right? And I, and I look at stuff and I look at the pictures. So, I got in my office, in my office office, this is like my studio office. Like I work from home now. So, it's like a nine to five studio office and then my creative office. My one of my walls is chalkboard. The whole wall is chalkboard, so I write on my wall. So one of the things when I started the podcast, it wasn't just to start a podcast. Mm-hmm. I wanted to start a multimedia network. As uh, I don't know if it's an episode or not, but Shannon, she used to write for me on. on I had, I trademarked the name and everything. The other forty is the other forty hours a week that you spend working on your brand or business, an addition to working a nine to five job. So. Those kind of things, I, I I did that, and all of that stuff seemed like disjointed, and I had to like really pray and meditate on it. And really, the thing that I came up with, I feel like the guy gave it to me, is that I don't just want to do a podcast. I want to do a multimedia corporation, multimedia business. So mm. that's what I'm working on now. And you know, like I have my name and everything. I have my LLC. And really, the the idea behind it is, I just want to give people of color a voice. I'm not doing anything different than anybody else would do, but I just want it to be from our perspective to build it and not to be over the top. Like I don't want to do like the black nineties movies, like nothing's wrong with them or anything like that. I just want to do it how I see that I want it done from my perspective. And I want to make stuff from my perspective. So it's like, I have specific rules. Like one of my rules is like no using the N word unless we're specifically talking about the use of the N-word, you know what I mean? So, like, that is what I'm on now. And my next one, I'm hoping to have it out in March. I have it planned out, and it's just me, and I'm going to be interviewing different people, and I'm going to be talking about things that, from from a black perspective, things in America, whether it's my hair, whether it's the, the talk, whether it's racial inequality. A big one for me is the way, especially as being in the media field, is 
um, the way that we are portrayed in the media. Mm-hmm. We're the only only group of people that I can think of, other than maybe like Muslims. We're the only group of people that you can think of that when we're the victim, it's like we're on trial. You see, you see a black man shot or killed, like when George Floyd thing happened. It's like, oh, he he had been arrested for this, he had done that, blah 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 blah. They're not talking about the officers; they're talking about us. Then somebody killed, like a white guy kills a whole bunch of people. It's like he needed help. It was signs, it was signs all the time that he needed help, and he had a mental illness, and he did this and that. Even when it's against a, a white woman, uh, or you know what I mean, it's like like he needed help. And it's just so much with ownership that we need to to start to do. So it's like, I'm not building this to sell it. Like, I'm hoping right. that one day I can build it big enough that I could make it a generational thing so that when I have kids, I can pass it down to them, teach them from a young age how to do these things and how to run these things so that as the climate and the world changes, that they can evolve and change it with the world and the climate. Absolutely. Well, that was... That was a great ending <laughs> uh, culmination of this interview. We really, really appreciate you. I appreciate you for coming on. Richard, thank you so much for uh, being here. I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. What an amazing conversation we had today. We truly appreciate you guys for listening. This is another episode of Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions with your girl, Shannon, and the amazing Mr. Jared L. White. Be sure to follow us on our new Instagram page, the Not Your Enemy brand. Until next time, we'll see you guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Not Your Enemy Speak Out Sessions. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at VisionaryCCB and who is Tim K. Interested in purchasing apparel? Visit visionaryccbstore.com. Until next time, step out, step in, and step up.